All right, welcome back to church this week. We are the church, and, and on Sunday mornings, the Lord's Day, we gather together as the church. And uh, we're in, uh, in our series called the 5G Life, what it means to be a true Christ follower. And I invite you to open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 to 13. If you don't have a Bible, I believe we have some in the back there. And you can have one for yourself, and you can take it home if you need it. Um, also, if you need a bathroom, they're way down the other side of the, of the, of the arena. Uh, just sneak out and go ahead and, and do that if you have to. No problem at all. Um, also, we have coffee in the back. Sue brings us coffee every week. Don't feel afraid to grab a coffee right now so that you can settle in. And uh, you might need it this morning. No, I'm just joking about that. Um, okay, we're, so we're in a True Christ Follower series um, talking about our relationships that we have with the Father and how we foster and live out these relationships by devoting time to Him in specific ways. And uh, today we're talking about uh, God time, but there is five of these. We've got our God time, we've got our gather time, we've got group time and give time and go time, just some really easy ways to, to remember. You can count them on one hand. This is how uh, that we uh, relate to the Lord and spend time with Him. I just want to mention quickly, too, on our website, if you go uh, on harvestcalgarysouth.com, there's a 5G Life link there, and, uh, and the sermons have been posted. The quality of the recording is not great because up to this point it's been on my phone, but uh, they're still there. There's also links to, um, there's a God Time booklet from Harvest Oakville that you can go to. It's a really simple book of how to spend time with the Lord through, through His Word and through prayer. There's also a link to a more extensive uh, series from Radical David Platt. Um, it was a secret church, I, I forget which year it was, it was a while ago but how to study God's Word. And so go there and find those things. There's lots there for you. There's also a link to some really good Bible uh, reading plans. So as we're starting to turn the corner into the new year, I know a lot of us are looking for, what's the, what's the new Bible reading plan that I'm going to give myself to this year? And so last week, we focused on our primary source of abiding through the Lord through God time in His Word. Abiding personally in His Word. We looked at 2 Timothy 3, 16 to 17. And uh, we discovered that a true Christ follower intentionally pursues God, hearing his voice daily through time spent in his word. We need to be in God's word to receive his help. We need to receive his knowledge, his conviction, his correction, his training, and his maturing. So quite simply, when God speaks, we need to be hearing his voice through his word. And today, we're going to examine the second source of God time, God time number two, we're calling it, and that is through prayer. So God speaks to us through his word. We speak to God through prayer. And our God is amazing to listen to the prayers of his children. And so today, we're going to see that a true Christ follower pursues God daily through time spent in prayer. And so the first question coming at you this morning just like last week, how's your God time in the Word? How's your, how's your prayer life going? How's your prayer life going? That's one of those questions that you, you wince a little bit maybe. Maybe it, maybe it hurts just a little bit. Uh, maybe you're just convicted a little bit. I, I need to be devoting more time to God's Word. Now some of you may answer with great delight. You know, my prayer life is just going amazing. This is one of the sweetest aspects of my relationship with God. The Lord. You wake up in the morning, you can't wait to be at the Lord's feet in prayer, 
deep, meaningful, abiding petitions to the Lord. You may be one of those prayer warriors. You're not ashamed to to say to somebody, hey, I want to pray for you. And you're not ashamed to say, hey, I actually prayed for you last week, right? You're one of those who follow through with your prayers. Perhaps you keep a list of your prayers. You're tracking the prayers of, of fellow believers, and you're seeing how God is answering those things. Perhaps you're the first one to show up to the prayer meeting at the church. And uh, that would be our desire for all of us, that we are devoted faithfully to prayer. We love to pray to the Lord so much that we just can't get enough of it. And so if you're that person, you probably have a lot to teach all of us. Prayer is is often one of those things that's caught more than it's taught. But today we're going to teach about it. We as a church say that we believe in unceasing prayer. We say that we believe firmly in the power of prayer. That's one of our pillars of this church that holds us up. But it's one thing to write that on a pillar, right? To put it on our, our statement, our distinctive, and it's another thing to follow through and to faithfully practice that together. The truth, more often than not, is that we often struggle in the area of prayer. It's, it's hard, right? It's not an easy thing, it seems. It's often a very weak area of our lives and a weak area of our churches. Now, prayer is a massive topic. It really is. It, we're not going to see all the angles of prayer here this morning. Um, we could spend weeks at this, studying the prayers of Scripture and seeing how we can pray like those who prayed faithfully and how God answers prayer. Uh, we could be looking at the who, the what, the where, the when, the why, and the how of prayer. We'll be doing that over the life of our church, always picking up that pillar of prayer and, and blowing the dust off and shining it up again. And uh, it's one of those pillars that, that tends to fall sometimes. And so we've got to pick that up and, and study again and devote ourselves accordingly. But today we're going to look at the very instructions that our Savior gave us in Matthew 6, 9 to 13. We're going to learn about the how to pray. We're going to look about the content of a disciple's prayer. We're going to focus on a, a Christ follower's prayer. If you're like me, sometimes you come to the Lord, you're seeking his ear, knowing that you should be praying, right? Knowing that we're called to pray, knowing that we need to pray. Sometimes you close your eyes and settle your thoughts and try to push out the distractions and try to concentrate. And sometimes you just go blank. Like, what am I going to pray for? What am I going to say? What should I pray about? Or you may tend to revert back to kind of an old pattern of prayer um, that just seems to be dry, seems to be empty. I don't know if you guys experience that. Just sometimes a staleness in our prayer life. Do you sometimes run out of things to pray for, right? I think that's, a, that's a, an often uh, thing that happens. Sometimes you give up after a few minutes. And you have to get on the day because there's so much to get done, right? Or maybe you just think you don't have the gift of prayer. Well, friends, the struggle is real. It's, it's a prevalent struggle. It's common. You and I need help. We need to learn how to pray. We need to learn what to say. And we're not alone in this, right? Jesus' disciples themselves, they needed to learn how to pray. And they asked the Lord in Luke 11, verse 1, Lord, teach us to pray. And Jesus responded with 
what is known as the Lord's Prayer. That's in, in Luke's Gospel. We're looking at Matthew's Gospel, the Lord's Prayer today. So along with the disciples this morning, let's, let's ask the Lord to teach us to pray. And we'll do this this morning by applying what we see through the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6. All right, Matthew 6, verses 9 to 13. Pray then like this, Jesus says. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven, forgiven our debtors. And let us, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that uh, we can see clearly here that you are teaching us, that we need to learn to pray. Lord, we bring you all the glory that is due your great name this morning. We come to you as our Father, as our King, as our ruler, as our teacher, as our Savior, and as our shepherd. And we trust you this morning. Thank you for revealing to us what we need to know. Thank you that you have given us the instructions of your scripture for us to live faithfully. We ask for your Holy Spirit to be at work among us, working deep in our hearts, encouraging us, convicting us, reminding us of what you have taught us through your word, and doing your work. Pray that we would receive your word this morning, and we would respond in faith, and we would respond in worship. And we pray this. In King Jesus' name, amen. So we find ourselves back in the book of Matthew again. Uh, we were just there not too long ago. And uh, we're in the Sermon on the Mount uh, where our Lord is applying uh, the law <coughs> into the hearts of his disciples. Jesus just finished uh, the you have heard it said but I say section, right? Revealing his kingship and, and his authority. He takes the law that is fulfilled in himself, and he ratchets it even deeper into our hearts. And so when it comes to anger and lust and divorce and oaths and retaliation and enemies, any sin that we deal with, Jesus teaches us that outward conformity to the law means nothing. If the heart has not been transformed. He warned against the hypocrisy of the Pharisees who practiced their righteousness before other people. Even when it came to prayer, he commands his disciples to reject praying with empty phrases, using many words as if to convince God of anything, but rather to go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. That's in 6 verses 6, just before our section today. So just to sum that up, the secret of prayer is to pray in secret. And then Jesus, knowing his disciples, he wanted to give them a biblical framework to answer their question of teaching them to pray. And so he gives them a structure. He gives them a model of how to pray. So in this Lord's Prayer, we can call it a the prayer of a true Christ follower here this morning, you're going to see six essential focuses of a disciple's prayer. These are six petitions to the Lord. The first three petitions focus on God himself. 
And the last three focus on our greatest need as Christ followers, our needs. And so focus number one is this. It is, Father, glorify your name. Glorify your name. Jesus says, pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. So who here remembers uh, praying the Lord's Prayer in public school? Yeah, hands? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, maybe, right? I think in, in my hometown that ended in about 1985. We weren't allowed to pray anymore in school. Anybody else last a little longer than that? Was it later than that? Jenny? Yeah, a little later? Okay. So we used to pray this. We used to stand up as kids in public school with a picture of the queen on the wall in our class and pray the Lord's Prayer. Now, I want to caution us here, right? Uh, this, this is not just a prayer of reciting. This is not just for recitation. It's not an incantation that somehow releases God's will for your life. That would be missing the point altogether. Now, I'm not saying you can't pray the Lord's Prayer word for word. There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, but it is a structure. Jesus said, pray like this. He didn't say pray this. So it's a structure for his disciples to follow and for you and I to follow. It's a framework. And so he starts with praying that the Lord's name would be hallowed. Now who here knows what that word means? What does the word hallowed mean? Are we still using that in our vocab today? Right? Andre's not walking around saying that he had a hallowed week, right? Anybody know what the name, what the word hallowed means? No? Okay. I hear little whispers out there. Okay. All right. So hallowed comes from the, the word hagiadzo. Greek word means to make holy, to honor, to regard, and to revere as holy. Our Father... Hallowed be your name. We do this so that God's name would receive all praise, all awe, all adoration from all of his creation. That he is holy. And so according to Jesus, the very first focus in our pattern of prayer must be the revering of God's very personhood, his very namesake. Asking the Lord to continue to receive all the glory that is due his name, as our Father in heaven deserves. Has anybody watched the proceedings uh, in, the, in the House of Commons, either in Canada or in, in Britain? Uh, what, do, what do they call MPs when they're addressing one another? What do they say to one another to address another minister of parliament? They say, the right honorable so-and-so, right? The right honorable Justin Trudeau or, or whoever that might be. Now, they might not always be right and honorable, but that's how they address them in the House of Parliament. We do this with royalty as well. If you were to meet the queen, you would, you would have to address her as your majesty. Or if you were to meet another royal, you would have to address them as your royal highness. This is really a proper addressment for their position, to revere who they are in their position. So then how much greater should we be re revering our Lord 
and Savior, who is Father of heaven. He deserves all the reverence for his holiness. And how much more should we desire to see his name glorified for who he really is? Our Father of all glory. And so we can apply this to our prayer life. And I just got a couple ways to, have a, to look at this and how we can apply this. Remember, this is a structure. So begin your prayers in awe and wonder of the holiness and the glory of your Father in heaven. We need to remember that we've been adopted by a holy, transcendent, yet it says Father, which means he is, he is intimate and he is a loving Father, the best Father that you could never imagine. And we must rightly hallow his name, revere or exalt his name in our hearts. And proclaiming his very holiness back to himself. He deserves all the glory. Remember, we don't give God glory. He already has glory. What we do is we ascribe the glory back to him. Just like the angels in Isaiah 6, crying out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of your glory. They proclaim his excellencies as he is revealed in Scripture, proclaiming his very namesake, his very character. In Exodus 34, remember the Lord pronounced his name to Moses. And he said, I am the Lord. And we could reply like this, you are the Lord. A God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast Love and faithfulness, that is his very namesake. This helps us to set our minds, as Colossians says, on the things that are above, not on the things of this earth. And this prepares our heart for God-honoring prayers. So that's the first way we can approach this, how we can apply this. The second would be this. Pray that God would continue to glorify himself in his creation. That he would continue to receive praise from his people, from nature, from his church. May we join the psalmist in Psalm 115.1. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. Not our glory. Your glory, Lord. The problem is, brothers and sisters, is that we often start our prayers self-focused, right? What we need, right away we're jumping to our needs or, or praying for others. Those, those are all good things. Jesus is teaching us here to have our minds set on the Lord, our first fruits for the Lord, having our hearts rightly oriented towards him. And so we pray. Our Father, glorify your name. And then along with revering God for who he is, praying that he would continue to get glory for himself, we also need to petition him to continue to do what he does. The second focus of a Christ follower's prayer is to pray, Our King, advance your rule. Our King, advance your rule. Matthew 6.10 says, your kingdom 
come. So in this section, Jesus teaches us that when we pray, we need to pray with this perspective that our Father who is in heaven is also our King. He is Lord. He is the ultimate King of the kingdom. Remember back in Genesis 12 and 17, you see the Abrahamic promise, the Abrahamic covenant. God promises Abraham that there would be a multitude of nations that would come from him. He promised a land. He promised a people. And then he also said that kings would come from Abraham. And so there was a promised king and a kingdom. And kings did come from Abraham. Remember, remember Israel wanted to go the way of the world, and they wanted kings. And so God said, all right, you can have some kings. And kings did come from Abraham and David. The height of God's kingdom on earth was during David's reign. But as great as a king as David was, David was a sinner, just like you and me. And soon through his son, the kingdom fell. God's kingdom plan was never meant to be fulfilled in David. He was a type of the one who was to come. And King David was, he was meant to point us to a greater king, the king that we're worshiping this Christmas, the, the coming king, the Messiah, fulfilled per perfectly in the king of kings, the son of David, Jesus Christ, our Lord. King Jesus, he was the one who put on human flesh, he was born of a virgin who, who lived this sinless, perfect life and proclaimed the kingdom of God. He died a sinner's death. He was nailed to a Roman cross. And the sign that was nailed above his head was king of the Jews. He was a king. And later, three days later, this king rose from the grave. And he ascended to heaven and he now rules as king over all creation, king of his church. And who Paul says in Ephesians 1, 21 to 23, is far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church. And our king is coming back. He's coming back to usher in his final, fulfilled, perfected kingdom. Revelation 17, 14 says, They will make war on the Lamb, the Lamb is Christ, and the Lamb will conquer them, for he is Lord of lords and King of kings, and those with him are called and chosen and faithful. You see the king with his people, his kingdom, and we are with him in the end. He is our king. He is our people. And we await. We don't wait idly. We wait urgently. And we've been given tools to fight the battle in this kingdom. We've been given a lethal weapon to join the fight for his kingdom. We've been given prayer. And so we don't pray as, as customers, but we pray as warriors. We pray for Christ to rule and reign in our hearts. We pray for him to vanquish the darkness of our worlds. We pray for him to return and take up his throne here on earth, his kingdom now. When you look at the Greek, 
It really is your kingdom now. His kingdom is coming. John Piper says this about prayer and about the idea of it being like a war. And, and I've shared this before, but it's, it's one of the best. God has given us prayer as a wartime walkie-talkie so that we can call headquarters for everything we need as the kingdom of Christ advances in the world. Prayer gives us the significance of front-line forces and gives God the glory of a limitless, limitless provider. So in modern warfare, our military forces use this uh, device. It's called a laser designator. Sounds pretty cool. Uh, this device is crucial uh, to have accurate targeting in sensitive areas of war. And so this device is set up and packed around by military personnel, and they use it to, to, to lock in on specific chosen targets. I've heard that Canada is a big part of this with, with aiming these, these lasers. And so these lasers are, are focused on a, a target, and then the signal is picked up by air support, which then lock on, on that target and destroy it. So in the same way, we need to view our prayers like this as the Lord's targeting device to advance his kingdom, to destroy the enemy, to send forth the reinforcements, to, to release the captives, those who are sinners lost in darkness, and to win the battle and to restore his kingdom. And our prayers are crucial to this battle. Have you ever thought of prayer being like that? That it's a lethal weapon used by the Lord. It's a lethal weapon that brings life. And so when we pray, let's pray as, as, as servants. Let's pray as warriors. Pray understanding that you've been given this incredible, this crucial privilege to advance God's kingdom through prayer. We're not mere consumers when it comes to pray. Don't just come to the Lord looking for your needs. He does provide your needs. But prayer is much more than that. You're on the front lines of a spiritual battle, and we pray, your kingdom come. Far too often, we, we live this world like the Lord has left us all alone. That he's in no rush to come back. Jesus is saying, we are to pray, let your kingdom come. We have an active ruler. We have an active God. And so Jesus is teaching us to orient our hearts towards him, to be involved in advancing this kingdom. And so are you praying to advance God's rule, to advance his kingdom? Sometimes we're, we're pretty busy advancing our own rule, our own kingdoms in this world. Lord, help us to get our eyes on your kingdom and what you have planned. So we ought to look up, we ought to pray up, let's believe up, let's call out to our Father, our King, to reign in glory, to, to reign in his kingdom. Let's pray, your kingdom come, Lord, advance your rule here. And then we see another essential prayer focus that he teaches, and that is to pray, Master, fulfill your plan. Master, fulfill your plan. Matthew 6.10 is, your will be done 
on earth as it is in heaven. Now we as a church believe in the sovereignty of God. We believe that He's sovereign over creation. He's sovereign over us. He's sovereign over His will. We believe what the Scriptures say. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the first and the last, the beginning and the end. From Him and through Him and to Him are all things. We agree with Psalm 115.3. Our God is in the heavens and He does all that He pleases. And we also see King Nebuchadnezzar saying in Daniel 4.35 that God does according to His will among the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? Our Lord is sovereign. He is in control. The Bible is abundantly clear that God is master over all. And so with all this knowledge and understanding of God's divine sovereignty, Do you sometimes wonder what the point of prayer is? Do you sometimes wonder, well, if he's so sovereign, why pray? If he's in control from the beginning to the end, what difference is my prayer going to make? Do my prayers actually do anything? So without going into a lengthy discussion about the difference between God's sovereign will, which is his decreed will, His revealed will, which is what he's revealed for us to obey. If you want to look into that, I really recommend J.I. Packer's book, Knowing God, has a good section on that for you to understand. For the point of this sermon, for the point of prayer, we need to understand that our prayers actually do something. Even when God is completely sovereign, our prayers actually do something. God honors, and he privileges to work his will through our prayers. Our God is not fatalistic, right? Meaning that it's just, it's just done. There's no sense in doing anything. We might have these kind of thoughts in our head. Well, God, is, God has ordained all things to happen according to his plan, so I'm just going to sit and do nothing. I'm just going to wait to see what happens. Why should I evangelize? Why pray at all? Why do anything, right, if he's so sovereign? That's not the response of a true Christ follower. In fact, it's because God is sovereign that we actually believe in the power of prayer. God's will is multifaceted. It's a multifaceted sovereignty. And your prayers are vital to the working out of this will. This is his design. In fact, God really doesn't need us for anything, right? God doesn't need us, but he wills to work out his will through the prayers of his people. And so meditate on this the next time you go to prayer. Think about the amazing fact that God wills his work through my prayers. It's, a, it's this privileged understanding that's going on here. It's, it's hard to even comprehend, but he does it. He works through your prayers. Do you believe this? Does your prayer life reflect this? We ought to believe this, and, and it should drive us even further to be in the work of prayer 
for the Lord, understanding that when I'm praying for that person down the road, God's will could be working through my life to save that person through my prayers and for me to go to them and share the gospel. It's a wonder, but let's give ourselves to it. Let's believe it. Remember back in Acts 12, when Herod, uh, he just killed the first uh, apostle, he killed James, and Peter was thrown into prison, and he was likely to be killed as well. How did the church respond to that dilemma? What did they do? They prayed. In Acts 12, 5, it says, earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Earnest prayer. And you remember the story, what happened. Peter was in prison, but he was miraculously released by an angel. And after he was released, Peter ran to the house where those people were praying for him, and he knocked on the door to be let in, and a servant girl comes to the door. She recognizes his voice, and she goes back to tell the others, Peter's here. And what did they do? They told her that she was out of her mind. They didn't believe that their earnest prayers could do such a thing. When they opened the door, it says they saw him and they were amazed. Their prayers worked. Prayer works. James 5.16 says, The prayers of a righteous person has great power in its working. Perhaps we're not praying because we're not believing that there is great power to be had when we pray. That God's will works powerfully through our prayers. So do you believe that your prayers have great power? Do you believe believe that they're effective? Even in light of God's sovereignty, and because of God's sovereignty, we have to believe in the power that is in praying. So when it comes to our church, we want to be a church that's shining the light of the gospel into this city. We want God to do great things, to change lives, to transform people for his glory. That's what we want. But are we believing in prayer that God will actually do it? How much time are we spending actually praying for the lost and believing that he will actually do it? Are you praying without ceasing? Are you believing? Pray for our master to fulfill his will, to fulfill his plan. Pray that his kingdom would come. Pray that his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. God hears you. He will honor you by asking him to do what only he can do, which is everything. And he'll privilege you with sitting on the front row of his work and watching him work powerfully. So give yourself to prayer and pray to that end. And so we see These first three petitions, they're focused on God himself, right? The first half of this prayer is really, it's not about me. It's about the Lord. Speaking to the Lord, learning what you're learning in Scripture through your God time and speaking it back to the Lord. One way to do this is to to grab the book of Psalms and just take the date of the calendar and then go to like, say if if it's the 10th day, go to Psalm 10. Read it. What are you learning about God? Now pray it back to him. He is Father, He is King, He is Master. Pray that He would get glory, that He would advance His kingdom, that He would work out His will. 
And now you see that as your thoughts are trained on him, your thoughts are off yourself, they're on the Lord. Now Jesus says, now you can come to him with your needs. Come to him with your needs and pray. And then we pray, our provider, nourish our needs. Our provider, nourish our needs. Give us this day our daily bread, it says in verse 11. Give us this day our daily bread. So we have this sovereign God, and he teaches us that everything comes from him. James 1.17 says, every good and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. God is, God is the ultimate giver. He's our ultimate provider of all things that we need to live. And Jesus wants us to, to pray with complete dependence on him for all things. This daily bread here really refers to our practical daily needs. Daily bread. I don't know about you, but I'm prone to, to taking credit for my daily bread. I'm prone to to saying that I'm the one who went out and, and I'm the one who earned that. And before I, I became a pastor, I worked in the oil patch for 16 years. Money was not a problem. Um, we had a nice home and, and things that were good. We had to go on the vacations and, and just, we had all this stuff. And I, it brought a lot of pride into my life. And I was looking at that stuff and, and being proud of the work of my hands. I took credit for it all. I was very ungrateful to God for all of this. I believe that it was all me, when in fact it was, it was all Him. It's all from Him. Remember when the Jews were in the wilderness for 40 years, God faithfully cared for them. He met their every need. Remember how He provided them food when there was no food. He provided manna from heaven. And when they got tired of that, He provided some pheasants. He provided water from a rock. And remember that their clothing and their shoes never wore out for all those years. And he protected them from their enemies. God was their ultimate provider. He cared for them and he cares for you and he provides for you. He loves you. He is full of mercy. He is full of grace towards each one of us. He cares for all the needs of all of his creation because why he's a god of mercy he's been doing this from the very beginning genesis 129 god says to adam and eve this is in the garden behold i have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit you shall have them for food he provided the garden he provided the food for them god is, is extremely interested in your physical needs. Sometimes we think he isn't, but he is extremely interested in that. He doesn't think that they're too small. Nothing is too small to come to the Lord with. Even though you work hard, even though you toil and you stress to provide food for your family, clothing for your family, remember that this is sourced in God himself. He has given you that ability to go out and to work. This has been given you by a loving Heavenly Father, and Jesus knows this. And He wants us to pray, thankfully believing this. So who here believes that if God didn't show up tomorrow, all things would fall apart? If God 
was not active in his creation, the universe would cease to exist. Do you believe that? The whole universe is in his hands. And as much as he holds the universe in his hands, he also feeds the sparrows and he cares for you and he provides for you. So let's ask him for our daily needs. Having our minds set right on the Lord, let's go to him. Lord, this is what we need. And it'll put you in your right perspective. That apart from God's mercy, you have nothing. And it makes you a more grateful worshiper. So as you go out and work and you bring whatever it is home, fill your fridge, thank the Lord, go to him in prayer. Lord, thank you for what you're doing and continue to provide my needs. So we're living in Calgary right now in Alberta. Our jobs are scarce. Economy is not good. Bank accounts are being drained. Fridges are less full. Let us faithfully depend on our provider to nourish our needs. He is faithful, and he will do it. We can also apply this to our church. We have plenty of daily needs in this church. And God has been so faithful over the last year to provide well. He's provided for us through Harvest Bible Fellowship, through uh, NAM, and through you guys as well as you gave faithfully. And we're so grateful for that. As we turn the corner into the next year, these streams of funding uh, through NAM and through HBF will dry up. And we got to faithfully depend on the Lord for his provision. We need to lean into him all the more to continue to provide our needs. We need him to sustain us. And so with that, we need to be a praying church. We need to be praying faithfully and deeply, asking him to provide our needs. We need to be thankful. We need to be dependent, seeking our provider to nourish all of our needs in this church. So along with our daily needs, we also need to pray for our Savior to cleanse our hearts. Jesus says, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Savior, cleanse our hearts. So this word being translated debt here, uh, it's being used in the sense of sin towards a holy God. In fact, when you look at the Luke version of the Lord's Prayer, it's translated sin. Yes, Jesus wants us to ask the Lord to provide our physical needs, but more than that, he wants our spiritual needs met. And the greatest need of humanity is to have your debt of sin forgiven. Sin is debt. You and I have broken what should not have been broken. We owe God an eternal payment for sinning before an eternal, holy God. You and I were born sinners. We continue to sin. And God knows this. And in fact, apart from his intervention, we have no hope. But he provided that hope in Jesus Christ. And it was the only plan to relieve us of our debt. He sent his son to live in our place. And when we repent and believe in him, in his final sacrifice, his final payment for our sin, God saves us and he cancels our debt. 
God cancels our debt. He declares us not guilty of that debt anymore. In fact, we owe him nothing now. He declares that we owe him absolutely zero. And we are forgiven our debts, our sin. So as Christians, we are eternally forgiven, past, present, and future. This can never be taken away from us. So why do we need to keep asking the Lord to forgive us our debts, to forgive us our sin? Good question. So as Christians, we still have this, this problem of sin, right? We're declared righteous, but we still have this practical life of sin. We're not perfect yet. We're not in heaven yet. We're practically indebted to God's grace daily. We need to keep praying for the Lord's forgiveness for two reasons. We do this to have a heart of gratitude. It is those who are forgiven who keep asking for forgiveness. Right? True Christ followers are eternally grateful for what the Lord has done. And so we continue to worship the Lord. We feel the weight of how our sin is against Him, right? And we just, we feel that burden and we want to ask the Lord, would you forgive us? We're sorry. We're sorry for our sin, Lord. The second reason we need to keep praying for forgiveness is because we sin and we grieve the Holy Spirit. When we sin, we grieve the Holy Spirit. Paul says our sin grieves the Spirit, which means our sin causes relational discord between God between his indwelling presence and us, okay? Paul says this in Ephesians, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So when you sin, the Lord is grieved. The Holy Spirit is grieved by that sin. Now that doesn't mean that you lost your salvation, okay? That can never be lost. Your forgiveness can never be lost. Your eternal forgiveness. The Lord has taken your forgiveness and put it away as far as the east is from the west. He chooses to not remember it anymore. But it does mean when you sin that you have grieved the Holy Spirit. So our sin, still as Christians, it still affects our walk with the Lord relationally. When you think about uh, the Holy Spirit, we are baptized into the Holy Spirit when we are saved, right? When we are made new, we're given new life, we're baptized into Him. But it also talks about, the Bible talks about that we have one baptism in the Spirit, but we have many fillings of the Spirit, right? And it's because of our sin, we grieve the Holy Spirit, that we need to go before the Lord and ask for forgiveness in godly sorrow and repentance, and what he does then is, as he forgives you again for that, he fills you again with his Holy Spirit. That doesn't mean that you lost the Holy Spirit. It just means now he can actively work again in your life. So continually pray for your debts to be forgiven. This expresses your desire to be united afresh with God, to be filled with his Spirit, to be enabled and empowered to be walking in his ways. And then Jesus adds, as we have also forgiven our debtors. So if you're seeking to be forgiven, look around at those 
perhaps that you have not forgiven, right? Look into your heart when you're asking for, for forgiveness. Is there somebody out there that you're bitter against? Is there somebody that you have sinned against? You need to be asking for their forgiveness. Christian, you're going to be sinned against. You will. But know this, that forgiven sinners forgive sinners. Okay? Forgiven sinners forgive sinners. If you hold bitterness or unforgiveness in your heart, your relationship with the Holy Spirit is tainted. And forgiveness is this perpetual part of the life of the believer. And so ask your Savior continually to cleanse your heart. Ask Him to show you areas that you are maybe not forgiving. Maybe you're bitter towards somebody. Maybe it's a deep place hidden in your heart in your past that you need to seek forgiveness for. So pray for your Savior to cleanse your heart. And then we have this last focus of this structure of prayer from our Lord Christ. And that is to ask our shepherd to protect our souls. Ask our shepherd to protect our souls. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So as a shepherd protects his sheep from the danger of wolves and and lions, so your great shepherd protects you. He leads you. He guides you. He watches the the horizon for danger. Psalm 23 says, His rod and his staff, they comfort me. Meaning, God is our ultimate protector amidst a sinful and dangerous world. We have to remember that we're not in heaven yet. We live in a sinful world, and this world is full of temptation and full of evil. We're tempted by Satan, we're tempted by the world, and we're tempted by our own selves, right? Jesus wants you to continue to call out to your great shepherd in prayer for protection, like a sheep that's baying for its shepherd. I got a little video I want you to watch here. It's only a minute long, but it'll give you a, a bit of an understanding here. ¿Y ahora qué? Está saliendo vidrio. Sí. ¿Cómo la vas a sacar? Pues no lo sé. <risa> Increíble. Pobrecita. Voy a ser famoso. Anda, mírala. Así nace una oveja. El milagro de la vida. Eso se lo pones. Te lo juro que la gente joven no lo sabe. Así nace una oveja. Una oveja de tierra. No es nuestra oveja. No es. So that's you and me, right? Don't know what he was trying to do down in that hole. But the shepherd goes in and, and saves the sheep. We get ourselves in trouble all the time. We need our shepherd to protect us. This world is full of temptations. Satan wants to, he wants to ruin the testimony of the church. He wants to tear down your lives. Even as Christians, he wants to tear you down. He knows he can't take your salvation, but he can take down your witness. We need this constant intervening protection from our great shepherd. 
So Jesus wants us to pray knowing that, knowing that God himself, he is our way of escaping the snares of Satan. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 tells us, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Are you struggling with temptation? Pray to your shepherd. Are you struggling with reoccurring sin? Pray to your shepherd to protect you. Pray before you're tempted. Pray while you're tempted. Allow him to make that way for your escape. Jesus knows these temptations that we deal, dealt with, that we deal with. Hebrews 4.15 tells us that Jesus sympathizes with us. He sympathizes with our weaknesses. And he was tempted in every way that we were. Jesus knows our temptations. And he provides the way of escape. He is our great shepherd. He knows that you can't come overcome sin on your own. You can't face temptation on your own. You need to run to him. You need to seek him. Call out to him. Seek his strength. Seek the strength of the Holy Spirit. And he will bring you out of that temptation. J.C. Ryle really paints this well for us. He says that prayer is the mightiest weapon that God has placed in our hands. It is the best weapon to use in every difficulty and the surest remedy in every trouble. It is the key that unlocks the treasury of promises and the hand that draws forth grace and helps in time of need. It is the silver trumpet that God commands us to sound in all our necessity, and it is the cry he has promised always to listen to, just as a loving mother listens attentively to the voice of her child. Pray to our great shepherd. Pray to him for your on going protection. And so we see this prayer, we see this structure, it's kind of a six-fold structure, three petitions towards the Lord, three petitions of our needs. Now this isn't an exhaustive teaching on prayer, there's lots more to learn. But God wants you to know that prayer is more than just a convenience, it's a blessed privilege, and it's a necessary duty and delight to abide with him. And so if you're struggling with prayer today, take this outline. See what the Lord has given you. Jesus said, pray like this. Look at these six areas of prayer. Dedicate some time. Use it and pray. God will enable you. He will bless you. He will equip you. One of the key things for us to do if you're struggling to pray, is to pray until you pray. It's not just going to miraculously happen. You have to discipline yourself to pray. you got a God who loves you deeply. He is your Father. He is your King. He is your Master. He's, he's your Provider. He's your Savior, and He's your Shepherd. You have full, bold access to the throne room of grace in Him. Christ made the way for you. Pray that God would glorify his name, that he would advance his kingdom, that he would fulfill his plan, that he would nourish your needs, that he would cleanse your heart, and that he would protect 
your soul. With that, let's pray. Lord, we come to you knowing that you are our heavenly Father. And what an amazing, incredible Father you are. Lord, we thank you that you have adopted us as sons and daughters. And that you have raised us up into new life. Lord, you are an amazing Father and we thank you for that. Lord, you're also our King. Lord, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, we come to you often with our, our own kingdoms in hand and our own plan going on. Would you help us to get our mind on your plan, on your kingdom? Would you advance your kingdom through us and through this church? We pray, Lord, that you would nourish our needs that you would feed us our daily bread. Take care of us. Feed us also by your word. And Lord, we seek you to constantly cleanse our hearts. Lord, we, we come to you as your bride. You're making us a pure bride. You're maturing us. And yet we still sin. And we grieve your spirit. Lord, would you forgive us for that? Would you would restore to us the power of your dwelling spirit, would you fill us again and do your work and empower us to live this life? And Lord, you are our shepherd. And we often fall into holes. We disobey and we sin. Would you protect us from that? Would you lead us not into temptation? Would you deliver us from evil? We cry out to you as the only one who is able the only one who is worthy of all our praise. May we be a praying people. May you help us to learn to pray. May we ask this in the name of Christ Jesus.